Um, let's open our Bibles, Acts chapter 16. I want to uh, look at some things there. First, I want to uh, just review this Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know, I just keep hearing that over and over. Everywhere I go, I hear someone say something about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Any of you know what that verse says? <laughs> what does it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths, or He'll make your paths straight. It really is an amazing passage, those two verses, that we should trust and, and rely upon the Lord with all our hearts, no matter what. And uh, I like that the Hebrew uh, meaning found there, to fall face down before Him. To trust in the Lord with all our heart, fall face down before Him, trusting Him, because because he's, he's faithful. So he says to you and I, will you trust me? He says, trust me. And I, don't, I know that we'll not be disappointed in, in, uh, when we trust in him and we lean on his understanding and not our own. So today I want to I begin in, in chapter uh, 16 of Acts because I want to begin a study in the book of Philippians. And uh, does anybody know what the key word to uh, Philippians is? Anybody at all? What's a key word? Joy. Joy, yes. The key word is joy, and, and you've got to keep that in mind when we look at how the church in uh, Philippi got started. We need a little joy in our hearts. I don't know about you, but I need a little joy in my life, you know? Um, it's not easy in this life sometimes, is it? But I was thinking about it this morning, and joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and if we, are, if we belong to, to the Lord... And we um, have the Holy Spirit. Well, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is joy, along with love and peace and all the other uh, fruits of the Holy Spirit. Some of the, some of us are just fruit cakes, and but you know we need we need some of that some of that fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives because that's what people see, and that's what well we we kind of see here in, in Paul's life. Now. Um, this letter that uh, we're going to start studying, the, the book of Philippians, is, is that just that. It's a letter, and uh, it's one of the, they, what they call the epistles of the, of the New Testament, and they were actually letters that people wrote, and they were written to groups of people, most times churches, in certain areas with actual places and actual people. That's what kind of is sticking out to me, that these were actual Places and actual people. This reminds me of Judge Judy, right? You know, actual people, actual cases. Don't ever watch that. It's like I went to visit my mother recently, right? And she watches every episode. And like, so if I'm going to spend time with her, I got to spend time with Judge Judy. So um, I'm going to start yelling like Judge Judy starts yells at everybody. Now you're all interested in Judge Judy, I know. Forget about her. Just forget about her. But, but these, these letters were written to actual places, actual people, just like you and me. Just in a different time, in a different uh, location. Uh, the book of Philippians written, of course, by the Apostle Paul. When he was under house arrest, uh, the other epistles written by James and Peter and John and Jude, names that you're familiar with. Now, he was under house arrest when he wrote the letter. 
But we're going to see some other things that happened to him here in the book of Acts. But he didn't have any anklets. They didn't have anklets back then, but he was actually chained to a guard. So he had some freedoms, but he was also chained up. And this is why the book of Philippians is called one of the prison epistles, or the prison letters. Let me just read to you a little background on it. While, while still under house arrest in Rome, Paul received another visitor, Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was a member of the church in Philippi, the northern province of what is now Greece. So the place Philippi is in an area that is now known as Greece. And it says, in behalf of the congregation, he brought Paul a gift, financial support for his support. And the Philippians uh, back in the church at Philippi were eager for some news about Paul's circumstances and the outcome of his trial before the Roman imperial court. And this prompted Paul to write the last of his prison epistles to the Philippians. And he wrote to thank them for their gift, to inform them about his circumstances in Rome and about his trial, and to strengthen them in the hope and joy that was theirs in Christ. Yeah, he, he wrote back to thank them and, and to tell them about how his things, you know, things were going with him. But, but Paul, you know, as we'll see here, he just wanted to encourage them in their, in their faith and in their joy and in the hope that they have in Christ. And that's what I, I hope and pray that the book of Philippians will do to uh, each one of us, that, that um, this letter of joy, no matter the circumstances, God will put some joy in our hearts and in our lives. Sixteen or more times in various forms, the word joy is found in the book of Philippians. So let's start with uh, what I wanted to do today is, is before we go in there, I want to I look at how that church began. And some of the first members of that church, again, to, so we, when we're reading the book of Philippians, we put this together with what happened in the, in, in the book of Acts. These are real people, real place that, that Paul is writing to. And, and uh, you know, we have some connection because the scriptures, they all tie together, really. And when we, when we see the pieces come together, it's pretty incredible. Acts chapter 16, um, the church of Philippi started on, on what's called Paul's second missionary journey, Right? Paul the Apostle, he, he was a, uh, a Jewish, uh, you know, uh, he was a fanatic, and he was against Christians, and, and God got a hold of his life and turned him completely upside down, and then he became uh, uh, just an on-fire believer for Christ, but, but he, he, God called him to go out and to be a missionary, and, and he went uh, and, and just did what God called him to do. His first missionary journey was about 46 to 48 A.D., and you can read about it in Acts 13 and 14. I'm just giving you a little background before we get started here. And he went out with Barnabas, right? And they were sent out by the church, and they went to Cyprus. They went to an area called Galatia, which is where we get our, our, uh, the book of Galatians, right, to an area of Galatia. And then he went to other cities like Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And then a second missionary journey in, in, in A.D. 49 to 52, uh, Acts 15 through 18, which is where we are today, Paul went out with Silas, and others joined them along the way. They went to many cities. They went to cities they went to on their first trip, and they kind of followed up to encourage those believers there. And then they went further afield to uh, Philippi and other cities that you would recognize the, the name of from the Bible, Thessalonica, from the book of Thessalonians, and Athens, which is 
in Greece, of course. Corinth, where we have our letters to the Corinthians, and Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. Paul went out to these places, and God used them to help start churches. And, and then his third journey, he went to many of these places again. So let's look in uh, verse 6. Let's pick it up in verse 6. Uh, the book of Philippians, <clears throat> the place Philippi, is actually the first church, many believe, that was started in the continent of Europe. And it begins with a businesswoman, the first convert in Europe, then a demon-possessed slave girl, and then a jailer and his family. Verse 6 says there, Paul and his companions, they traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. So Paul and his companions, they're on this trip, and again, they started off by going to some of the places they had already been to to encourage the follow-up and, and you know, re, uh, reiterate some of the teaching and some of the things that they had uh, uh, brought to them in the first place. But we see here in these verses 6 through 8 that Paul and his companions, uh, they got sent out by the church, but they were now being directed by who? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is directing them. Notice there, it's kind of interesting. You could do another study about this. He, it says in verse 6, the Holy Spirit, and then in verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus. There's, a, again, the, the Trinity and the, the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, all these three, three in one. But God is able to direct them and, and direct us. And here in this particular uh, passage, it says that He stopped them. He stopped them. He wouldn't allow them. He kept them by the Holy Spirit from going to the province of Asia. Now, Asia isn't the Asia that you and I know. It's... it's uh, uh, like Asia Minor, they would call it, and it was like modern-day Turkey, uh, Turkey, okay? And so uh, what happened there, there were some closed doors there that God had other plans. And I, do, you ever, do you ever face that, closed doors? You're trying to do what God wants you to do, and you just, you, you just run into this closed door, and you go like, well, what's that all about? Uh, David Guzik said that the Holy Spirit often guides as much by the closing of doors as he does by the opening of doors. It's not always just looking for the open door, but it's also sometimes trying doors and find out, finding out that they're closed, that we're not supposed to go in there. I wonder, though, maybe was Paul kind of disappointed? Maybe he got a little discouraged. Maybe he you know, wasn't sure what was going on. The truth of it was that later they would go there, to that place, to that area. I wonder, though, it doesn't say here, though, does it, how did they know that those doors were closed? It says the Holy Spirit kept them. The Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them. So we, we don't really know how, how they knew, but there was something that they knew in their walk with Jesus, their walk with God, that they were not to go into that uh, particular area, that it was a closed door. I think it, when we think about our own lives, sometimes we, you know, uh, like, like looking for a job or something, we know when the door is closed. We just know, right? And, and when we've prayed and we've asked God, God, is this something you want us to do? And then we reach out and try it, and then the door doesn't open. We just know that the, that door is not open. 
And, and sometimes we want so badly for those doors to open that we just like, we're just, you know, trying to pick the lock. We're trying, you know, we're busting our face up against the door. Our nose is all smashed in. We're trying to get into the door that God has not opened the door. But on the other hand, when God opens doors, it's like incredible. It's like incredible what, what, what can happen. Um, this, this particular year, uh, you know, I've been, I've been getting involved over at West Bay with Val uh, in the uh, uh, <clears throat> chapel. You know, last year I, I, was, I was interested in doing it, right? And, but, and I was trying, I was uh, making myself available, but the door just was not open last year. But now this year, it's like the door is so wide open, and, and we, we have just gone in, and God is doing incredible things with worship and, and uh, God's Word with, this, with the middle school over there. It, you, you just know there's this huge difference between trying to make something happen, trying to push that, and when God opens a door. It's just very different. And, and you just kind of know, uh, really kind of in your spirit and, and, and the way circumstances work out. So... One thing, though, that, that, that is clear here is that they didn't know that the door was closed until they tried the door, right? We can sit around, just, you know, sit around waiting. God, show me, you know, open the doors for me. Show me where I'm supposed to go. Show me what I'm supposed to do. And, and if we never try anything, how are we ever going to know? Like he's going to make the door fall on top of us? I guess he could do that. But they, they didn't know that the door was closed. They didn't know that was, the right, that was not the right direction until they tried to move. I remember hearing years ago that it's, it's so much easier to steer a moving vehicle, right? If the vehicle is moving, you can turn the wheel. Now, if, if the vehicle is stopped and it's like this, it's very difficult to turn it to this direction, right? You have to like pick that thing up in dead weight and move it to another, facing another direction. Sometimes we need to just take some simple steps, do some things, try some things. Step out, do something different. Look at verse 9, going on from there. It says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. There was this vision that Paul had. Macedonia just happens to be where Philippi was. And there's this man in the vision, he's standing and he's begging, please come and help us. And this was what God's plan was. This is where the need was. This is where the help was wanted, the help was needed. And, and God's, God used a vision in this particular case. It, you know, can God speak through visions? Yes, He can. We see it in the Bible. Can He speak through dreams? Um, the book of Acts talks about it, you know, that your... Um, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, right? The only problem with this is that, that, that when you get older, you have trouble sleeping, so you don't get to have the dreams as much as if you're not sleeping. You know, some of you that are old, you know what I'm talking about. But God is able to speak in lots of different ways, visions and dreams and, and that, but I think primarily He's speaking to us through His Word, putting calls upon our lives through what He has in His Word for us, and we need to be in His Word and listening and, and reading his, his Word on a daily basis. But people all around the world are, are calling for help, and God uses that. And again, to find where the need is, where, where someone is ask, actually asking you to come and help. 
instead of trying to go somewhere where they just are completely closed to wanting you to do anything. You can't help someone who doesn't want any help, right? I was reminded, I have to say this, I was reminded um, when I read this passage that we had uh, a young man uh, from Macedonia up here last week standing and begging, please come and help us. You remember that? Anybody remember that? You remember who that was? It was Justin. He was up here begging, standing begging, please come and help us. We need some helpers in our Sunday school. You say, well, that's the kind of a plug. Well, yeah, it is, but, but it's also might be just a little bit of encouragement to listen, to, to, to hear what God might have for you. When you hear someone saying, please, I, I, need, I need some help, you've got to pay attention. This is what's happening here in the Apostle Paul's life, what led him and his team to the city of Philippi, because someone, he, he saw this call and he, and he responded to it. Look in verse 10. It says that after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once, immediately, to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They got ready at once. They wasted no time. They, you know, they, they didn't make any excuses. And we're pretty good at that. I know I am. Well, you know, when I, after I, uh, you know, say goodbye to this person and, you know, and Jesus talked about it. Well, if I, if I, you know, I go home and take care of this, this person, that person, if I do this and this and this, well, then maybe I'll have time and, and I can follow you. And maybe, you know, when I get done waxing my, you know, my Porsche, then maybe I can, you know, I'll have time when I get done, you know, with all the things that I need to do. Don't. Don't uh, be surprised if your, your life just rushes by and you never get involved in anything. It's, that's what happens. David Guzik, again, he says, Paul, beautifully responsive to the Holy Spirit, is, is willing to lay down his will and his plans for the direction that the Holy Spirit brings. Notice what it said there, that the primary call was to preach the gospel, to bring the good news to those folks there in that area. And that's always number one. Verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea and we sailed straight for Samothrace and the next day to Neapolis. And from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. He, he said that they, they got on a, a, a boat and they sailed straight for where they believed God was calling them to go. Straight there. A straight path. We talked about God directing our paths as we acknowledge Him in all of our ways. A straight path, and it, where did it leave it? It led right to Philippi. And again, as we study the book of Philippi, I want you to be thinking about how that came about. How did it happen? There was a man, his name was Paul, and he had a team of people, his companions, Silas and others, and they, and they heard the call of God and they went to that place. And God did a work there. Verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. They went to where the people were. Notice that uh, Paul would typically go to the synagogue, but in this particular place in Philippi, there wasn't a synagogue. A synagogue required that there be 10 men to, to have a synagogue. Obviously, there were not. 
But there was a place of prayer and the women were there. And it says they were, they were out there at this place of prayer. They had hearts that were, that were hungry. They were praying, praying for help. As we'll see, they didn't quite understand. They didn't know about Jesus yet. But Paul went out there to where the people were. He sat down and he began to speak to them. He didn't force it. He didn't make it happen. Again, he was just doing, following step by step what God had called for him to do in this place. I, someone pointed out, and I find it interesting too, is that Paul saw a vision and there was a man, a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. But when he got there, what did he find? A group of women. And he go, well, what, you know, I don't understand that. Well, what, who was the man? We don't know who the man was. But the, I think the point for me is that it's not always going to be exactly as we understand it to be. It's not always going to be what, as, as expected, you see. Maybe he was expecting to find that same guy, that same face, but maybe that was just a, a messenger of God giving him the message, and that wasn't the person that he was going to see. That's obvious because the first people he sees there are these women at the place of prayer. I know that when we came out from California, uh, we had, we had a, 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 a probably two pretty strong uh, contacts where people were saying, we want you to come here. We want you to come out here. We want you to start a church. We want you to start a Calvary Chapel ministry out here in New England. There was a group in, uh, in Hartford. And then there was another uh, family in uh, Sandwich on, on the Cape. And so we thought, okay, that's really where it's going to be. And we, we kind of had this plan in our minds. And, and that was our expectation. But, you know, we got there. And we got to the, to the place uh, in, in Connecticut. That was our number one thing. We got there and it was like... Oh, this just doesn't, this isn't what, it's not, it's not opening up. Something's not quite right. So we kept moving. We had four or five, six other contacts, and we, we got to the place on the Cape, and we went and visited these other places. And, and uh, in the end, to make a long story short, the Cape, we, we tried and we tried and tried, but God was just not opening that door. Why? Because He wanted us here in Rhode Island. We tried to leave Rhode Island. We were here for a year, and we left Rhode Island, and he said, you better get back there like I, I shared that with you a few weeks ago. I want you to go back. And so we came back, and we've been here ever since. And, and this is where God had, has the open doors for us. But it wasn't necessarily how I expected it to be when I, when I started out, when we started out, when we loaded up the station wagon. Any of you ever see that picture of that station wagon? Any of you remember that station wagon? Larry does. It was a beast. So he went and he sat down and he began to speak to them, the women there. And in verse 14, the first one to respond, one of those listening. It always gets down to an, to an individual, doesn't it? It's not a group of people. It's always each individual. It's not just that you're here as a group. It's you and, and, and what God wants to do with you personally. What he wants to do with me personally. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart to respond to God's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. The first person there was Lydia, and she was glad that God directed them there. 
don't you think? She was glad. She was glad that, that, that they had come. She was praying. I think she had a heart to seek the truth, but she didn't really understand. She didn't really know that she was willing to pray. You know, there's a, a sense of the revelation of God in nature itself, but not a, a, a complete revelation. God has revealed himself through his word to us, but, but in the creation we see, in Romans chapter 1 talks about this, Psalm 19 talks about the, the heavens declare the glory of God, and, and, and we can see that God exists just because of what he created. And so in that sense, she had this heart that was after God. She was a businesswoman. She was a transplant from a city called Thyatira. She was seeking. She was praying. And then it says there that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Who opened her heart? The Lord did. It wasn't Paul. He didn't try to force his way into this woman's life and, and, and get the messages in there. She didn't even get to take credit for it. I think she had an openness in her life, but really it was when God did something in her life. It was when the Lord opened her heart and the work of God in a person's heart and life, that's, that's when things really happen. It's not when you and I get on a crusade to fix myself or to you know, become spiritual. You see that all over the world today. I'm going to become spiritual. But it's not until the Holy Spirit does a work in our hearts and lives that, that is, that's when, when stuff really happens. And you and I can't make that happen. All the glory goes to God. Uh, you know, we do need to cooperate, of course, but without the Spirit's work in us, where would we be? Where would I be? Where would you be without the Holy Spirit's work inside of you? Good luck. Go read some more self-help books because you're just going to keep reading and reading and reading. Well, if you just do step one, two, three, four, and five, you're going to be all fixed and perfect and good and everything. No, you and I need to be changed by the Spirit of God within us. That's what's going to make something happen in us as we surrender and submit to him. 1 Corinthians 2 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You can't even understand. You can't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God without the help of the Holy Spirit. So when we're, when, we're, when we're asking to be used by God, we need to pray that God would open hearts, that God would unblind eyes, that God would do what only God can do, because we can't do it. We just can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do anything for you. Most of you already know that, right? I can't do a single thing for you. And I just, I just want to be here and be faithful to, to open up God's Word, and, and perhaps by the Spirit of God, the Word of God can get in you and do the work of God within you, and, and, and something good can happen. Notice there, it wasn't just her. It began to spread. It says she, in verse 15, and the members of her household, it began to spread in the family. And so often it does that. It spreads through families. And notice there then that they were baptized. They believed. And then they were baptized. And then it says she invited us to her home. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So th there's a kind of a progression there. She, she became a believer in the Lord Jesus. And then she was baptized. And then she also began to serve. She began to just do whatever she could. And, and for her, that she had a house that she could be, you know, show some hospitality. 
whatever her gift was. She, she, she was a businesswoman. She had some resources, some finances perhaps to, to be able to have a house that she could uh, help take care of, of these missionaries. I don't know what your gift is, how God has blessed you, but, but to use what you have. Again, I think of uh, back in the, in the Gospel of Matthew where you had uh, Nicodemus and you had Joseph of Arimathea who, who both they used what they had to, to minister to Jesus, right? You remember that? They, they got his body and they prepared it for burial. They provided the tomb and, and so on. So she begins serving, and what a picture. Now, this is, this is the first lady. And again, when we read the book of Philippians, to think there's a, there's a woman there, and her name is Lydia, a real person who had a business, who uh, God worked in her heart and life, and she responded to the message. And that would be cool if, you know, if you just think of there's just a bunch of cool people like Lydia, and, and that's all there is, but it d- doesn't stop there, does it? It says, because on the way to prayer, in verse 16... Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so troubled, he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Things were going pretty good with Lydia, but but they're going back to the place of prayer, and we have to continually keep going back to the place of prayer, of course. But then you see this account of, of this radical thing happening. What is going on here? What is happening? There was a girl. She was possessed by a demonic spirit. It was a a spirit of divination that she was possessed by. This is not the spirit of God in her. She's possessed by a spirit of a, a, a demonic spirit. And she was in this business, and it was all for money, right? And 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 do you see this kind of thing happening today? Right? fortune tellers and psychic readers and tarot cards. And, and these things are all over. You go down Main Street, you see it in Main Street. You see it in the mall. Well, sit down. I'll, I'll, I'm going to read this for you. Of course, there will be a little charge. I'm not saying that every one of those people is uh, possessed by a demonic spirit, but I, 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 I think it's pretty clear that they're in, in uh, some kind of uh, connection with the demonic realm in most cases. Or they're just plain uh, flim-flam men and and women that are just trying to make some money off you. And they'll look at your palm and say, yeah, that looks like such and such. And they'll make something up so you'll turn over your money. But this particular case, there's no question. And it was a shouting distraction. But it led to her deliverance. And and even though what she was saying is the truth, isn't that what, what she was saying, that... Isn't it the truth what she was saying there? She said, these men are servants of the Most High God. Yes, true. Who are telling you the way to be saved. Yes, true. So what's the problem here? I just let her you know, advertise for you. The problem was that it was a, it was a, very, uh, it was a very severe distraction. It was distracting the focus of worship and teaching onto who? 
unto her, unto this crazy, screaming person who actually had a demonic spirit. Paul finally had enough, though, and, and, and through the power of Jesus' name, the girl was set free. Through the power of Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus Christ, there's no hope, there's no power in any other name. Paul spoke boldly in the name of Jesus Christ, and this girl was set free. This girl was set free in the name of Jesus Christ. Do we face spiritual warfare today? Yes, we do. Is it maybe not so um, blatant as it was here? In some places it is, but maybe we don't see it. It's not so blatant today, but there's certainly spiritual warfare that we face in our world today that we need to know that we can't fight it on our own, but only in the name of Jesus Christ can we fight the fight. And Paul spoke boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. You'd think... Wouldn't you, though, that he, he, God uses him to set this particular um, girl free? That that would be, a, a, you know, everybody would be happy about that, right? This would be exciting. But look at verse 19. When the owners of the slave girl realized their hope for making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews. And are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. It got them into trouble. It got them into trouble helping this poor girl who was bound up by a spirit of divination. Setting a person free got them into trouble. Why is that? Why? Money. Yeah, greed. It's all about the money, isn't it? It's all about the profit. They didn't really care about her at all. They didn't care about her one bit. All they cared about was the money. And, and we know, of course, 1 Timothy tells us, you know, the love of money is a, a root of all kinds of evil. So verse 22, now the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is Philippi. Again, remember that when Paul's writing about this place, Philippi. And who said that planting churches was easy? They had this incredible thing with Lydia, right? That, that, was, that was just miraculous. And, but, but then it was miraculous also that this girl was set free. But, but then they have this incredible uh, backlash and persecution. We have no clue what persecution is like. But Paul went through this. Why? Because he was trying to follow after God. It says he was, he was beaten severely. And, it, and the word means he was beaten with rods. He was stripped. He was thrown into to prison. Yet... Verse 25, and this is, this is probably the key verse here, I think, perhaps. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. That is incredible. I don't know about you, but that like, what? You know, they've just been beaten severely, thrown into prison, they're stripped, you know, humiliated. And now they're in this prison, and they're, they're up late, midnight, 
They're having a time of prayer and worship. That's incredible. That's, that's, what, the, that's what the theme of uh, you know, the book of Philippians, rejoicing in all things, finding joy. They're in this dirty, smelly prison, dark, damp. They're chained up. I was wondering how in the world could they possibly be praying and singing hymns to God at this point in time. And the only thing that I could think of was they were out there, they were there thinking about Lydia and her family, that it was worth it. They were thinking about this girl that was set free and that it was worth it. They were thinking about serving God and it was worth it. But notice as well, it says the other prisoners, they were there listening to them and you know what? There are always, always, always people watching and listening to you and to me. What, what, what kind of Christians are we? How we react under trial, how we react to persecution, how we react when things don't go the way we think they should go. That's a challenge, isn't it? That's where God wants to work in us, perhaps. I don't know about you, but my first response when things do not go well is not to pray and sing. Well, it might be pray like, God, why are you allowing this to happen kind of prayer. But that doesn't sound like the prayer they were praying. This sounds like a more positive, like, thank you, God, for allowing us to be your servants. Like that, that the, the, the demon was crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God. How we react under trial, I just, God, God's got God's to help us in doing that, huh? Verse uh, 26, verse 25, let's read that one more time because I want to get that into us. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Wow, they were sitting listening. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up. The, the chains came loose. There was this incredible earthquake that happened. Was it because of the singing and the praying? I don't know. It seems a little bit coincidental to me. These prison doors, they, they, they opened up and, and this earthquake, it, it really shook things up and God has a way of shaking things up, but, but in the middle of it, there's these two believers that are, that are praying and they're singing. They're praying and they're singing. Verse 27, the jailer woke up from the earthquake. He seemed to be sleeping through the singing. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He was about to commit suicide. Why? Because he knew that if the prisoners were all gone, the law was that he had to take their punishment. And some of them were, you know, being sentenced to die. So he might as well just get it over with and right now and kill himself. But really, the jailer was just trying to do his job, and, 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 but he just knew this was it. And, and Paul says to him now, in verse 28, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. 
Don't harm yourself. We are all here. You know, Paul praying and singing. He's in a prison. He got beat brutally. He's in there now. And and now there's a a man who's about to commit suicide. and, And God has put Paul in his path to tell him, listen, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't kill yourself. Why? Because there's a better way. And Paul is about to tell him what the better way is. God God was working in this man's life and those circumstances kind of all lined up and and he was just about to kill himself and and commit suicide. And I I am so clear on on the fact that suicide is not the answer, is never the answer, that there is a better way. But you and I need to be forceful sometimes. And Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. Don't kill yourself because there's a better way. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What is going to give me any hope in life? What is going to bring some kind of answers to my life? This is the most important question that could ever be asked, is it not? When someone asks you, perhaps, what is it about you? What is it about your life that, that what have you got that I, that I could have? What's the way? How could, I, how could I be saved? How can I find hope in this life? And what is Paul's answer there in verse 31? They replied, Paul and Silas, it's like they said it in unison almost, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus. He didn't say you got, you got to go read some books. You got to give some money. You got, to, you got to do all these things. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's that simple. That is the gospel. You remember what uh, the man of Macedonia was saying you know, for them. Uh, Paul concluded back in uh, verse 10 that God had called us to preach the gospel to them there in Macedonia. He'd already had a chance to preach the gospel, the truth of Jesus to, the, to Lydia. We don't know what happens to the slave girl after he was delivered, but, but we see now, again, Paul preaching the gospel, the simple gospel that, that we need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved to this jailer. You see, again, we, we say it, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. If he hadn't gotten beaten brutally, He wouldn't have been there in that prison with that jailer who comes to this place in his life where he says, I want to know the way to be saved. What must I do to be saved? Trust in the Lord Jesus. Verse 32, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to them and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds And then he, immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. You see the same kind of progression in in this man's life and in his household, his family. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's baptism there. He's actually serving. It, it, it appears that he's serving. He's beginning to serve already before he's even baptized. He's baptized and then he's serving some more. There's a side of these things that are, are common that we, 
we believe in the Lord Jesus, we are baptized, we serve. And then it says that he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Again, Philippians, the book of joy, he was filled with joy. Verses 35 through 39, we're not going to read those now, but Paul and Silas are set free from the prison after some back and forth with the, with the, uh, the rulers, the leaders of that city. And then finally in verse 40, it says, After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and they encouraged them. And then they left. They went back to Lydia's house again. There was something about Paul. He kept going back places. He would, he would come back again to the city of Philippi. But he went and he encouraged the believers. And you and I need a lot of encouragement, right? We need to be encouraged. Why? Because we lose courage. We get discouraged in this world. I don't know, maybe some of you are, are discouraged and, and, and you've come in here today hoping to hear something that would encourage you, hoping to find some hope, some kind of path, some kind of answers. And I hope that God's Word will, will give that to you. And maybe you can go and read this passage over again and, and find something that God would put in your life or, or begin to read the book of Philippians in preparation for us to study it uh, week after week. This is the beginning of the church at Philippi. This is where it all began for these people. It wasn't just some big building on the corner there. It got started somehow. It got started with people just like you and me, this woman Lydia, right? This, this servant girl who was, who was possessed by, uh, and, and being abused by her owners for the sake of money. It was this jailer who, he was just trying to do his job and all this radical stuff's happening. He was a prison guard. These are people. This is where it all began for them. And and again, for you and I to keep that in mind when we study. Philippi was not an easy place for Paul and Silas. Some of it was really positive, but some of it was really hard too. But you know what? They kept going from there. They could have said, you know what, hey, that's cool. It's all done, though. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and just, you know, be at my church and just be a part of that and just do what, what I can do there or whatever. They kept going, you know. This was just the beginning. Philippi was just the beginning in the continent of Europe. They went from there to Thessalonica and Athens and Corinth and, and in Ephesus, back around and actually into that area of Asia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a man, his name was Paul, and he was willing to do whatever God called him to do. And it affected you and I even today, right? What happened in the continent of Europe has affected us here in America as well. Believe in the Lord Jesus, he said, you will be saved. Believe, be baptized, and serve. That's a, that's a pattern I think you and I need to, to ask ourselves. Maybe some of you had not been baptized. We we, we would love to baptize you. Just put your name on a piece of paper and put it in the back, in the box there, and, we'll, and we'll, 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 we'll make it happen. We'll do it if you want to be baptized. We'll do it some way, somehow. We have options. And then serve. Find out. Do something for God. Do something to serve Him in some way, shape, or form because you will be blessed if you do. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And there be, may be difficulties, and the, the, the enemy 
was working even in that situation, but God blessed and God brought good even out of that. The enemy's never going to win, never going to win. He thinks he's winning sometimes, never going to win. God will bring good out of it, beautiful things that he can bring. Let's pray together, shall we?